I want to share with you a little bit more on behalf of the person with one talent. Last week, we spoke a sympathetic word for the one with, ta- with one talent. Do you remember that, those of you who are here? For those of you who wonder what we are talking about, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and we'll read it from verse 14, okay? For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Remember, the talents are not an ability. The ability is different from the talent. Talent is is a weight of money. Yeah, it was a, it, it was weighed out in money. It was not coin. It was money uh, valued according to its weight. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, for a long time, the master of those slaves came. Now, after a long time, the master of the slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. Then his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent, that's the one that we're going to focus on today, okay? The one who received one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. Yeah, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Assuming that with inflation and all that, if you just put it in the, in the ground, you're actually going to lose part of it. But if you put it in the bank, you will mitigate that. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even that what he does not does have shall be taken away. For the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We spoke about the fact that the master is not God. Yeah? God is, Jesus is speaking to those in the, in, the, in the crowd so that they would not have this experience. He is using an analogy, but it's an analogy, and God is not identified with that master. Okay? That's, that's important. He's showing us how we can avoid the kind of diminishing experience that happens for many of us when we are 
in the land or in the place that God has placed, placed us. And, call, and, and what he's saying is there's a certain kind of mentality, a certain kind of attitude that's going to get you diminished. And that's not what God has for us. And so it's important for us to actually see the purpose of this. And, uh, and so we're going to look at it this way. Not that God is the master, but Jesus is showing us how we can avoid the diminishment that can easily happen to us. Yeah, And so um, this, this series that we are looking at is a series that is hopefully able to prepare us for a fall conference of what God's doing. We spoke about the fact that what God has for us in the land, what we call the land, is... Uh, to be able to thrive and to be fruitful and to, be, uh, to experience His abundance even when times are adverse. And so I believe that God is preparing for the, us for that. As we prepare for the fall conference, I believe that every day, every week, that we, 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 we walk the path towards it, uh, God is able to add one more spiritual ingredient, one, one more spiritual component in that. And so today I'd like to just share with you something that I felt was still needed to be um, expounded a little bit on the thing that we were speaking about with the one talent. We spoke about fear last week, about how fear can cause the person with one talent to actually to be further diminished. There's something that the Lord wants to get at as Jesus giving this parable. He's wanting to get at what is it, what are the dynamics that make some of us thrive so much so that when we have more, even more comes, and those who have less, even that gets diminished. It's a very unfair situation, but Jesus is, a, is about justice. He's not about making the ones who have more have more and the ones who have less have less. What Jesus is saying is, is there are some things that are in us that cause that inevitability. And what God wants to do is to break that in our lives as well. Okay, so let's have a look at this, Matthew chapter 25. We speak about the temple, we speak about the land, and we speak of the world. The, there's a way in which the Old Testament, especially when you look at Hosea, you can see Hosea structures the promised land, the land which we have been called into, into three parts. One is the temple, the place of God's presence. And the temple is right in the middle of the land, the promised land. And around, surrounding the, prom, promise, the, the temple was what we call the land, the land that God has called us. As Christians, there is spiritual meaning in that, that the center of our being is the presence of God, God Himself. Yeah? God Himself. And He has placed us in a neighborhood, a workplace, a school, a place where we have our ordinary life in conjunction with, in connection with people in the world where we experience the same kind of things that people in the world experience. Whether you're Christian or non-Christian, you have a common experience. What God said to Moses, through Moses, was this, when I bring you into the land and the people in the, uh, in the land next to you see how you live and how I bless you, they will be drawn to me. In some ways, who we are in the land and how we live in the land is a witness more than just words, it's a witness by our life as people look just next to us, experiencing the same rain, same sun, same, same drought, same uh, germs, same vaccines, same uh, viruses. 
next to us, completely having the same experience, how the, the, God, of God, the God of gods can have a, a difference in our lives. You and I are witnesses, not just by what we speak, but by how God deals with us. Amen? So that was the land. The land is that common experience that we have. And then there's this other third circle that's, that's the wider circle that has, to be the, that has to do with the world. And God also sends us into the world, sometimes as missionaries, sometimes in places where we are completely in the land, or what, the, what the, um, the, the, the Bible calls the goyim, yeah? the people, the Gentiles, the people who are not of God, who don't care about God, who perhaps don't even care two hoots about it, or never heard about Him. And God sends us out into those places, not only as witnesses, but as missionaries as well. Amen? So this, this, is, this, is, this is kind of the, the setting, a structure, if you want, a spiritual structure to describe where we are. The Lord in the midst of us, the Lord, His life and His power flowing out into our land so that in the ordinary things of life, whether it's our work, our school, our, um, our professions, our relationships, our family, the things that we have common to people in the world, our neighbours, we can experience God and, and people can watch and see how God becomes real in our lives. And then there's the world. God's called us to Judah, Samaria, Atma, Jerusalem, Judah, Samaria, and Atma's parts of the earth. Okay. So we've been looking at these critical things that have to do with we, ourselves, in the land. And uh, as we look at Matthew chapter 20, 25, we see the issue of fruitfulness, yeah, the fruitfulness in our lives. And so today I'd like to title the message, Hope for the Fearful, Hope for the Fearful. And I'd like us to especially look at verse um, 24, and perhaps we can sort of dig in a little to what was going on with the one with the talents. Now, I find it helpful to look at the Scriptures and ask God, is there anything that you want to address in my life that can make a big difference in terms of my life with you and my life that needs to be corrected, that needs to be adjusted, improved, or repented of? If I can have that, I find that there are a lot of times keys that God can give to me. Here's one. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. So the fear that we spoke about last week, for those of you who are here, came out of a certain misconception or a certain way he knew things. I knew you to be this way. I knew you to, this, to be this way. And what he was saying to the master is this, this is what I know about you. You reap where you did not sow. That means his view of reality was one in which God, or we, we can look at it this way, we are like him in, in some ways, God reaps where there was no seed that he put in our hands, okay, in the ground. In fact, our life, apparently, 
has nothing to do with seeds planted. It's nothing to do with God planting a seed and giving us an increase. Many people have that idea. Many people have a sort of an objective view of, 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 of things. They look at things as objects. And what's going on is really what's out there, what happens out there. Does that make sense? So he's saying, you are one of those people who are out there and you don't plant anything. You don't put any seed in my hand. You don't put any seed in the ground. You just reap. And many times we can actually have this picture of what re reality is like. Reality extracts from me, takes from me. I have no idea what's going to happen. I got to keep my eyes watchful about all these things that cannot be trusted because it's not about seed planted. His misconception was, of course, that the master does not give seed, does not give seed to him. And maybe that's a way in which we can tend to look at life. We tend to look at life this way. I'm on my own. When I look out in the world, there are all these objects, people, things, structures, powers, you know, good, bad, bad, whatever it is. And I have to really have a very good view of everything so I know all the data. And because of that, in that sense, I'm on my own. I have to, I have to, I have to marshal all, my, all the, the data that I have and act according to that data. And so when he says, I know you to be this way, he was taking a piece of data that he observed of the world. Be patient with me, okay? We're going somewhere. All right? Don't give up. They're looking out in the world. What he doesn't realize is that there's, a, there's another reality and I want to switch from the analogy now into our spiritual thing, don't you find that what God wants us to understand is the opposite of what he was saying? What God wants us to understand is this. He's doing stuff in your life. He's planting seeds. He's doing things. And if you follow what he's doing, you will bear much fruit. You don't have to follow what he's not doing. You don't just have to follow all, that, all that's going on objectively in the world. You can actually follow him. So the poor guy with the one talent didn't realize that whatever's going on with the master or whatever, all these things, God is doing something in his life. He's got a seed that he wants, to wants him to follow. And what's more important is for him to follow that seed so that he can follow what God is doing. How many of you know that I cannot do anything with what God is not doing? If God's not doing something, I can't follow it. It's not going to be of any good. Amen? Does that make sense at all? It's actually quite obvious. It's almost a truism. It's like, I can only follow and work around what God's doing. And that is the path for me. Now, if I have this idea that God isn't doing anything, 
and that God isn't planting any seeds on me, I have nothing to follow except all the things that I see as far as data is concerned. Amen? So I have no path to follow. I don't have any God to follow in terms of what He's doing. There's nothing to build around if He's not doing anything. If God is not building something, my building will not, will not stand, will not last. So this man with the one, one talent, the poor guy, his view of the world is this, I'm on my own. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know whether he's a God or not. But I'm on my own. I have to deal with hard taskmasters, people who are sometimes for me, sometimes against me, just whatever's real out there. And I can only, I can only look through the lens of what's out there, whatever I can see. Does that make sense? His way of knowing things is without the lens of Scripture or the Holy Spirit. He looks at things and they look decidedly harsh because of the fact that he can't see that God is doing something in his life. He can't see that. So he has to deal with a person that is his master, who he sees as a person who's a hard guy, who reaps where he does not sow. There's a way in which this man is quite certain about what he believes. He's quite sure about what his beliefs. Where he gets his belief, I don't know. But probably he gets it by rumors or by what he observes of the taskmaster. Or the, or, the, or, the, or the master, or what he has, who he has experienced personally of, of the taskmaster, so that his way, his path, his strategy of life is dependent on what he thinks he knows. I know you to be uh, this. Whether that's true or not, we don't know. But he's certain of what he observes and the conclusions that he has come up with. We are like that, right? Or sometimes we are unconsciously that way because of the fact that we go by what we see, but what we observe, the object, yeah? The object of our observation. We look at statistics, we look at newspapers. Well, I guess nowadays we don't read newspapers. We look at the internet, we look, we look at all these things, and we draw our conclusions from that. What Jesus is saying is this. Your way of knowing things is fallacious, is problematic. Because you don't have the understanding of how things work in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, God puts seeds in our hands and He plants things for us. And if you go to the land, you will find that God has planted things in your land. And if you can find it, you will see God moving. Uh, Psalm 31 and actually, we can use the outline now, okay? If you have it. I did this snazzy outline. Actually, it's really simple. Okay. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you? Psalm 31, verse 9. Great. What he's saying is this, in the land that God, God has put us into, He has stored up goodness. He has stored goodness for every, you, every one of us. Each, each one of us has our own personal goodness that God has 
stored up for you. Isn't that amazing? So that when you go into the land, you don't see a, a, a barren wilderness. There are things that God has placed under the ground for you. You know, it's like a treasure hunt, right? It's like a treasure hunt. Someone was there in the garden before you went there and had surreptitiously put things in there, little treasures there and there. And he says, I want you to go find it. Now, if you start with the fact that there has been nothing on the, under the ground or in, in the land, you will have a very different kind of outcome in life. But if you believe that God has actually put things in the land and stored up things for you, you will start looking for it, right? Is it true? And you will start thinking now, what is the mind of the person who has put these treasures in, right? When my children were, were, were very young, we used to have treasure hunts and all that. And one of them, one day, looking for the treasure hunt, seemed to find a lot of things, right? A lot of things. And I asked her, how did you know? She said, I tried to think how you would think. I tried to get into your head. Apparently, she did quite well. She had to have a connection, at least mentally, with the person who she assumed had put things in the, in the garden. Yes? That's right. As a Christian, you and I, as we approach the land, have a very, very different view of reality than other people, than this person with the one talent. Because the one talent person is just, a person who's on his own or is, is on his own and, and, and he doesn't know about that. There's no sowing. There's no seed. He, the master expects me to reap expects to reap where he has not sown. The idea is that there's no sowing that has taken place. But the thing about it is that with for us as the, the children of the Lord, the Lord has sown treasures where you are. There are people who have not yet come to the Lord yet. There are experiences of miracles that have not taken place yet. There are provisions. There are recognitions sometimes. There are affirmations. There are things. There are even reputations. There are even names that people give to you, good names, that God has stored up. Amen? Another psalm says, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. I can trust that things are going to be okay because the Lord has bountifully with me. The psalmist is facing tremendous crisis and he says, the Lord has dealt bountifully with me. What he's saying is this, God has inlaid into my life, inlaid into my land, bounty. Now, if I'm that way, perhaps I will behave a bit like, more like the ones with the five talents or the two talents. Because I'll start looking for it. Amen? And I'll try to get my mind connected with the, the, the mind of the Lord. So that's what I, I want to I say. Um, I was just listening to um, um, someone who just shared with me, and I, I will let her share more. So I'm, I won't take the thunder from that, from that story. She was working with, with a, a patient who was dying. Yeah? She had dying, and, he, and that patient had a very deep wound that could not be healed. And that wound caused her not to be able to sit up. Okay? It's a very deep wound. And so she was, the, the doctors had actually said that we are going to sort of put her on this special care so that she will die comfortably. Yeah? And what happened is that during daily prayer, 
she invited that person to come for prayer. And somehow that person said, okay. So this was a person where she, where she worked. And the person joined daily prayer last week. And when she joined daily prayer, surprisingly, she was able to sit up. She had not been able to sit up. She was dying already. And she came and she felt the presence of God. And I think she came one more time. I may not be correct in that one. But yesterday night, I heard from this person on the land. The, Lord have, the, the, the doctors had taken her off that, uh, that urgent care and she's not dying anymore. That wound, she was able to sit on it and it was healed. And she's doing well now. She's off the list. That's a treasure that's in the land, right? Now, I think that for those of us who are in our land, I hope you, we, we are tracking with what, what we mean by the land. I think that this person, knowing her, is a person who's always looking for treasure. She looks for treasure in the, one of the most hopeless of situations where she works. She's, look for, she's looking for treasure. I want to put it to you that actually where we are, we may look, we may be in a very bleak place, but there is treasure under the ground. It's under the ground. You may think there's nothing there, but there's something there. And the poor man with the one talent didn't have that. He didn't have that paradigm that things have been sown into the ground. And all he needs to do is to work with what God is doing rather than what God is not doing. If you work with what God's not doing, no matter how promising it looks, it's not going to do anything that lasts. I have to leave that with you, okay? Praise God. So there's a way in which the first point... Keys to finding treasure in the land, okay? Keys to finding treasure in the land. How we know objectivity, or actually ob objectively, God sows, we can follow it. That's the first point, okay? The point is that there are ways in which we say, I know. And we sometimes have to ask question how we say, we, how we know we know, right? How do we know? May I suggest to you that we know through the light of Scripture, and through the light of the Holy Spirit. We ask the Holy Spirit. Right? Okay, let's go to the next one. If it is true that there is no real absolute objectivity in the way in which we look at things, even though we can look at objects rather than look to the Lord, there is a way in which God calls us into the land in a way that's looking towards God. Yeah? Now, there was a, we'll come back to Matthew chapter 25. There was, in the, in the Old Testament, a huge 40-year um, period in which the children of Israel had been led out of Egypt, and they were supposed to be going into the wilderness. And when they came to Kiriath-Jerim, um, Moses sent 12 spies, each one representing one tribe, into the land to spy the land and see whether the land was a good land 
what was it like, what the terrain was like, what the, what the conditions were like, and come and bring back reports. We know the story that in um, Numbers chapter, 20, uh, chapter 13, that they came back, 12 of them came back, 10 of them gave a bad report, and bas- basically they gave a report according to what their eyes saw, what they sure, they are sure they knew. And two of them gave a different report, yeah, gave a different report. The 10 said, we can't do it. They are going to eat us up. They're going to eat up our children. They're going to eat us up. They're giants. They're going to eat us up for breakfast. What's really interesting is this. In Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to, I'm going to just read a little bit. Joshua and Caleb were the two who gave a different report. Caleb quieted the people after the 10 had given a a very negative report. We can't do it. Basically, they were saying, verse 30, when Caleb quieted the people before Moses said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone is, in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw Neph- the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, a part of the Nephilim. Anakim was a giant. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, the scripture tells us. So what happened is this. Both gave a semi-subjective view. They gave the view a report as it was in their heart. Okay? The 10 gave a report as it was in their heart. Two also gave, the, the other two, Caleb and Joshua, gave a report as it was in their hearts too. Okay? They both gave their reports in their hearts. How they saw things, how they knew things, was colored by what was in their heart. Correct? How they saw things was such that the ten, when they saw the giants, the giants diminished them. What they saw objectively diminished them, made them smaller. Just like the man with one talent, when he saw what he, what he saw of the, heart, the, the master, he became smaller. These 10 became smaller. They became like grasshoppers and they acted like grasshoppers and they became like grasshoppers to the, peop- the sons of Anak. Yeah? Isn't that amazing? It's not really objective. Just like the man and these 10 people gave a report as if it was so objective, it was so rational and so logical and so accurate. It wasn't that accurate because it was tainted by how they saw things. And then what we see is this, uh, Caleb and Joshua give a completely dip- different report because they saw the, the, the land in terms of how it was in their heart. So later on in Joshua chapter 14, and you don't have to turn to it, Joshua chapter t- 14, and we're just going to quickly go there. 40 years later, Caleb is about 85 years old, right? Time has passed. They've gone into the wilderness. He did not die. Okay, the other ten died. Joshua and Caleb did not die. He says, verse 7 of uh, chapter 14, 
I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart, as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now, here's, here's the thing. What's really interesting is, we follow not just the objective objects that we are looking at, we follow someone. We follow someone. Whenever you look at objects, you're still looking at it following someone. And what Caleb said is, is I followed the Lord my God. I showed it in my heart. Now, how do you do that? Because you see, what we do in the land, how we do in the land, will depend not just on the objects, objects that are there, but how we see them, who we are following in our heart. Does that make sense? The five the ones with the five talents and the two ta talents saw things not completely objectively. They saw objects, but they saw something differently and it caused them to, do, to act differently in the land. The one with one talent showed how he saw things, how he supposedly knew things, but he was also seeing things through the lens of his impression of what the, heart, the, the, the taskmaster was or the, or the master was. We are actually following something in our heart when we look at challenges. The challenges actually reflect what we are seeing in our heart. The question is not the accuracy of it as much as, it, although it is an important, important thing, but here the question is not so much how objective our knowledge is, but how subjective our knowledge is. How we see someone that we are following through all this. And the response of the one with the one talent and the response of the ones with the tent was decidedly determined by who they were following and what they were seeing in their heart. Not what, you know, not what they saw objectively in terms of the objects, the grapes and all that. What they saw of the objects, everybody saw the same thing. Caleb and Joshua saw the same thing as the tent. But there was a way in which there was a difference between the two of them and it was, it was something to do with the what was reporting back into their heart, what their heart was showing them. May I suggest to you that that is the thing that actually determines the difference between how we do in the land, whether it's fruitful or not fruitful. Because what happens is this, fruit comes when a risk is taken. Non-fruit also comes when a risk faces us. But how we respond to that it's not entirely objective. It is determined by what's big in your heart. What's been built up in our heart. What's prevailing, what's decisive in our heart. Amen? So, how well you do in your land is not about how smart you are, or even how accurately you assess the data, or how careful you are, or how your method of, of, of knowing things is, it has to do with who's speaking loudest in you. Who you're following in there. Amen? And who you're following 
becomes most decisive when you experience a challenge to your safety. A challenge to what's precious to you. So the children of Israel faced what was precious to them when it was challenged. Our children are going to be killed. We're going to be eaten, they're, going to eat, they're going to be eaten up for breakfast. Whatever you, what is precious to you, when it's challenged, that's where either fear will take over or courage will take over. So how things happen in the land, how we thrive in, under ad- adversity, is, brings us to these critical points in life. Let's have a look at that, uh, that, um, that outline again. Number three, wholly following the Lord, growing in strength. Okay, here we have, we have it. May I suggest to you that we are living in a time in which what is really critical during this limited amount of time I believe we have is that we allow ourselves to build up the strength of God in our lives so that fear doesn't take over. It is not that we don't experience fear if we are following God. It's what happens to that fear in the face of fearful things. Amen? And so, what Caleb said is this. Yeah, those giants were really terrible. I mean, I mean, there's this, give me the heejibijis. But, I follow the Lord. I have to follow what God's doing, not what He's not doing. The giants are not what He's doing. The Lord and what He's doing is what He's doing. And so Caleb had to shift his mind not to what is against him, but what is for him. Does that make sense? We are all going to face things that challenge our safety. We are all going to face things that will challenge our reputation. And how we respond to those things becomes critical. And so what Caleb says is this, I wholly follow the Lord. Now, i got to ask the question, how do you actually do that? How do I do that? How do I wholly follow the Lord when I'm so scared when the thing that I'm facing is actually stronger than me, more real than even me, more dense than I am. How do I follow the Lord doing that? First, I've got to know what He's saying, and, and I, have to go, I have to find Him, right? I have to find Him. Don't you find that when you're afraid, suddenly God goes out the window? Where, where's God? Ooh, ooh, ooh. And the thing that's, that, that's most real in us is the fear itself. It's the reality of it. True? How do you feel fear, faith, face fear? How do you deal with fear? How do you deal with fear? Here's how I used to deal with fear. When I had fearful things happen, either I'll try to avoid it, I try to anticipate it beforehand and then sort of go around so that it won't happen, right? Or if it's, I couldn't avoid it, I'll go to the Lord and I'll seek Him. Yeah, I'll seek him and say, God, what do you have to do? What do you have to say with regards to this thing that I'm afraid, afraid of? Yeah. What do you have to say? 
But it became clear to me that even though I had overcome many fears or I had bypassed many fears, whenever fearful things happened, fear still gripped my heart. And I realized that there's a way in which how I dealt with fear was to hope that God will speak to me a word that tells me it's going to be okay. You don't have to worry about that fear. You don't have to worry about that fear. And so I would believe, okay, I don't have to worry about it, so I'm not going to worry about it. And then I realized that fear was still in me because I had not dealt with my tendency to fear. I didn't realize that there is something inside me that every time fearful things happen, I would be extremely anxious. What it says here is that Caleb says, I wholly follow the Lord, growing in strength. Well, he was growing. That's my notes. (laughs) Let's have a look at this. How do we follow the Lord? If you look at Psalm 34, Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and He delivered me from all my fears. I sought the Lord and He delivered me from all my fears. So how do you seek the Lord? How do you seek the Lord? You have to wait upon Him, right? And when you wait upon Him, He does two things, okay? One is, He assures us there's nothing to be afraid of. So that's part of it. That is the way I used to go through alone. If I'm fearful of something, He will tell me, don't worry, it's going to work out okay. How many of you have experienced God saying that to you? Yeah, Yeah, you have experiences. But you know, there's something more when God says, speaks about this. Because... When he says he delivers me from all my fears, he means that the objective thing that you're afraid of, he will deliver you from. Okay, good. But he also means that the feeling of fear will be something he will deliver me from as well. Not only the thing, the objective thing that I'm afraid of, but the thing that makes me afraid, have the emotion of fear, he will deliver me from that. Amen. In Psalm, 100, Psalm 31, it says, Okay. Be strong in the Lord. Take courage. Be strong in the Lord. Another version says, and courage will come. Be strong in the Lord and courage will come. What does it mean? What does it mean? It means what God is saying is this. I don't only want to remove the possibility of that fearful thing happen. I actually want to put strength in you. I want to put courage in you. I want to put courage in you so that whatever takes place, you will feel strong. You will feel strong. You will be transformed. That your fear inside you will be replaced by confidence in me. Not only will I remove the possibility of, fear, of, of fearful things happening, but I want to put something inside you that will change you. When that happened, I don't know why you're not excited. My life changed because no longer was I looking for comfort that these things that I'm afraid of will not happen, but I could face it head on 
And I said, Lord, you can change the way I feel. You can change my fear into courage and boldness. Courage, that means that in my heart, something expands inside. Something takes mass inside and makes me different, feel different. It's so great, you know. Because not only, that, not only do I, I have confidence because the thing I fear will not happen, but there's something inside me that feels, even if it happens, I'm not afraid. That's what I want. Because I don't know whether I'm going to face another fearful thing, but I don't want to face another fearful thing and bank on the fact that that thing that I fear will not happen. I need to know that God will cause me to be held by Him so that I can walk through that thing and not only walk through that thing, but I will act in a way that is, that is fearless. Even though at the outset I have only fear, only fear and dread, I need to be healed. And healing doesn't come just by saying, it's not going to happen. Healing comes when I wait upon the Lord, I feed upon Him, I feed upon His Word, feed upon His presence until that presence puts heart in me or courage in me, puts courage in me. I need heart. I had to be better than the lion in, the, in, the, the, in um, what's the name of that? Wizard of Oz. I need to be better than that. I need to have heart. He has to put in a heart to me. Amen? It's okay. He does uh, assure us and, and He removes all our fears. He does that. But He also does one thing. Their faces are lightened when, that, when He does that. He can lighten my face. He can cause my face to be not afraid of those things. Amen? Now, how I do in the land will depend upon whether I have courage or not because critical points will happen in, for, for me in this land. And at that point, if I, act, if I shrink back with fear or I try to avoid it or try to be di diplomatic and all that kind of thing, just, just by avoiding it, not, all those things are not bad, but, but, but the, 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 the method of avoidance is my main method, I will not be a courageous person. Because there are going to time, come times in which I can't avoid it. How about that? Where the loss of things is Im imminent. Where the loss of everything is imminent. Recently, um, we had a situation in our, in our building in which we had to deal with one of the contractors who was supposed to clean out the air ducts in the air conditioning. And uh, he was recommended, and so we employed him. But at the end of the day, it looked like the work was not really done, not really done well. And so we were concerned about it. And he was going to be paid a good amount of money. But Cindy and I, as we looked at the work, put our fingers through it, saw that it was not really that good. We had to tell him, you need to do it again because it's not done. And if it's not done, the air quality for those children in the school will be actually very hazardous. We can't, we can't do that. And the man got really angry with us and belligerent. So in front of me, in front of other people, he lambasted us. 
I am living. And there we were, intim intimidated. Shall we give the check or should we not give the check? And he says, I'm going to go for half an hour and then I'll come back. And so Cindy and I were in, in the office and we just waited and we prayed. And we could feel that something was about to blow up. I've got to say, Cindy gives me courage. But God gives me more. But I remember we had to make a stand. We made a stand. But before that, we prayed. And we asked God to give us strength to just do the right thing and stand. We went and saw him. And I felt after praying that something had been deposited in me. And I refused to stop praying until I felt that deposit inside me change everything. By the time we had done, I felt that something grew inside me. So instead of going to see him kind of slowly, we went straight to see him. And you know what? He was so nice. He was so cooperative. He was so good. And he explained to us everything about these machines and gave us extra to such an extent that actually we had a good understanding with him after that and we gladly gave him the check. But I know for me, the challenge had been to just take courage. I had to take courage together with, uh, with, with my wife and I could see that the others who were involved we were, were just wanting to back off from it. We needed to go there and somehow find something that was not there before. Amen? And the Lord, as we prayed, as we prayed, as we prayed, our eyes had to follow the Lord, just follow and not look at anything else. Because we could look at all the other objects and all the other objective things that were there and nothing could, could possibly happen. But at that time, I just followed that. I found myself as I kept my concentration upon Him, just praying in the Spirit, just praying in the Spirit. Something began to pour. Something pour. It took me a while. It took me about 40 minutes. At the end of it, I know it was settled. Not that I knew how the response would be, but I knew that God had settled things. Amen? And it went swimmingly. Wonderful. Amen? What I'm talking about is God giving to us His presence and His Word in such a way that when that happens, it grows inside us. Amen? And so because of that, I realized that fear is actually replaced by something. Not by the avoidance of something that we didn't want to happen. Amen? I remember 
as we close, often being part of a group that prayed, often they're the minority. They're the two, Joshua and Caleb, praying with them and seeing God actually do wonders. But before those wonders happened, there would always be, in the sense of corporate prayer, the people together with us who would bear witness that God was going to do something. When we made an attempt to buy this building, one of the things that was so strengthening for us was that there was a group that was praying every day in spite of the fact that it would take a huge miracle beyond what we could even imagine. We had, we had 80 people in our church and we are going to buy a, the building for 2.5 million. We didn't have the money. But there was something in prayer that gave us information from God's presence and gave us a certain density of substance that assured us that God will come through. And now we are sitting in this place. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord. That you are here for us. You don't only speak words to us, but that you also put something in us as we wait upon you. And so we open our hearts before you and we bring before you every fear, every anxiety that we have, every single one of them. Just go ahead and just lift it up before the Lord. As you lift it up before the Lord, turn your eyes towards the Lord and not the thing that you fear. You only have to follow what God is doing. We welcome you, Lord. I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. Some of us have fears that have been built up by a certain way in which we know things. But we've not heard from the Lord. In the end, the most decisive thing you want to see and hear is what the Lord is saying. But more than that, you want to invite his presence. His presence to come. There are some who are fearing that they are about to lose everything. The delay has made you tickle those fears. For some of us, time has marched on and we are afraid that we are past or an opportunity has passed the expiration date and it's too late. And I would say to you, 
that is not too late. But it's urgent that we be people who come together, hear from the Lord, and turn our attention to His way, His word. We welcome you, Lord. We welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit who comforts us in all our affliction. I wonder whether you, you could just open your heart, your mind, and even as you do that, the Holy Spirit is pouring down His mysterious, powerful self and substance into your heart and my heart. Fears of lack, fears of calamity, fears of tremendous conflict, fears for safety. Fears of things not happening in the end. Fears that are a collection of everything that could go wrong, coalescing and bringing one strong push against you. And the Lord would say even now, stop right there. And He would stretch out His hands and stop all those forces. And He will make a space for you, for what He's doing. I believe the Lord is saying to some of us, I brought you into a broad place. You're not going to be pushed out. Bless your name, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for being here. To invite you right now to just enjoy the Lord's presence right now. He's encircling a broad place around you. Bless your name, Lord. We thank you that you are the Lord. Bless your name, Lord. We call out to you. We call out to you even now. Give us courage in the land that we will not shrink back in the day of adversity. In the name of Jesus, amen.